This is Race Capital with Chelsea Higgs-Wise and Kat Maudlin-Jackson, where we interrogate racial narratives in our place, space, and time of Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my sentence. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O, the N, the D. That's my sentence. The R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the O. Good morning, cats. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning, radio people. It is August 28th. 2019 and i want to wish a happy mother birthday to my little sister austin higgs hey girl you're turning 29 i think oh my gosh girl you old i'm just playing when i love you so happy birthday to austin happy birthday so what's going on in the news this week So we all know it's a big election this year. Yep. All 40 seats of the state Senate and all 100 seats of the Virginia House of Delegates are open. Right. They're game. Right. So this year, it's about making Virginia a better place, Mm -hmm. says Delegate Jeff Bourne of the 71st District, which encompasses Richmond and Henrico. That's right. He did an interview with CBS 6 where he said that means making sure that teachers are paid at or above the national average. Right. Disrupting the school to prison pipeline. Boom. Shout out to our last episode. You can hear more about disrupting and dismantling the school to prison pipeline. He also said that's about incentivizing the development of affordable housing and addressing gun violence. Yep. Born, like all of his other fellow delegates, is up for re-election this year. So can I bring up a, a quick tidbit to this conversation? Yes, please. I am a huge supporter of Jeff Bourne, especially on Twitter. I am here for the uh, evolution of Jeff Bourne on Twitter, especially since February. And I've already heard some comments about where our own children go to school. And I know, I think one of maybe his children might go to private school. And, you know, that is also a conversation with me about me living in the city of Richmond and my child going to Chesterfield County Schools because my co-parent lives there and that choice. So the idea of still championing these community conversations of public school and what is the best thing and some of our own personal choices that are happening. I don't really have a conclusion to that, but I think it's important that we're all still pushing for the greater good and respecting people's individual choices. And maybe I just say that because I'm one of those people, but because I'm not like a school choice person. I don't know. I just, I want to bring up like, and there's a lot of conversations about stay RVA and, and staying here and putting your kids in those schools. And, you know, sometimes our kids get to a certain age where they tell us what school they want to go to. But I just, I just want to bring that to the forefront because a lot of people have already asked me conversations about like, oh, and, and just being confused about my kid being in Chesterfield, me being in Richmond and talking a lot about Richmond public schools, but my kid not going here, but I'm still a constituent here. My tax dollars go to these schools. And they're in my community. Like what what happens to the kids that go to these public schools matters in my community. And I want to make sure that they're successful. And that's why I'm still out here doing these types of things and what Jeff is doing. So anyway, I just wanted to put that in the air of another conversation and narrative that's that's happening. 
And I want to ask you real quick, he's been around, well, in this position, he's been around, he's a former school board member, but he was elected by special election in 2017, right? Right. So you mentioned that you're a big supporter of his. What are some reasons why? Yeah, because a lot of his legislation that he stood on is to support our children within the school system. And of course, the curriculum is there and he's a supporter of the funding, but he's also just been outright one to talk about dismantling the school to prison pipeline and bringing up the discipline numbers in Richmond, Virginia specifically, and especially when kids were being suspended from school and they were being put on homebound, but they hadn't even gone to court yet. They hadn't been convicted. And a lot of these children would end up being out of school for over 200 days. That's an entire school year that now that, and a lot of times they go to the court and nothing happens. They're not convicted, but they've now been put out of school. The family has been inconvenienced just trying to manage the school. RPS isn't usually able to even send homebound services for like three to six months. So they're not even getting educated. And so these are the types of gaps our children were literally falling in. And Jeff Bourne came in when he came into that seat at the legislative state level and came hard for those numbers and worked with Dr. Shade Thomas that came and was doing her studies on the school to prison pipeline and what was happening, especially to our black and brown young boys specifically, the numbers really showed and that discipline rate. And he was like, we have to, we have to push this out. We have to make this part of the narrative. And then of course, Jim McClellan picked it up in the Senate. So I also have just really, that was like a legislative piece. People are like, what policies do you like? Well, those. And then I also just like his character, right? Just like when the Commonwealth attorneys were here, we asked a lot of character questions, not just about their own policies. And I can see Jeff Bourne stepping into his own, like the way that he's navigating the Black Caucus, what happened in February, what he's been doing since then, a lot of the stances he's been making, trying to stand on his own. Like, I appreciate that. And he's a young lawyer. He's got a law degree from William and Mary. He's got a beautiful family. His wife is the bomb too, right? Like, I mean, they've got it going on. So I, I appreciate, and he doesn't come, he doesn't try to be perfect. That's why I also bring up these narratives that people might want to question or make controversy when it's not, because I think we're all listening to the community and trying to do what's better. And that's what I feel from Jeff Bourne. And I feel like now somebody should write me a check from Jeff Bourne's campaign. <laughs> that, but it may, and you know, that's not even me endorsing. That's just me as someone that follows a lot of this. And I question a lot of politicians and Jeff one is one I'm, I'm all right with. All right. So let's jump more locally to Richmond schools. We're going to zoom in now on George Mason Elementary, mm. which was the first elementary school built for black children in Church Hill. Mm. Last week, seven out of nine Richmond school board members recommended George Mason's demolition. The dissenting vote came from Kenya Gibson, the District 3 rep from Northside. And according to Jeremy Lazarus at Richmond Free Press, Gibson, who has an MA on architecture, said the board and administration failed to see if any part of the old building could be used to save money. And that was part of the reason why she voted no. But I think there's a lot more to this conversation than that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't been following this. That's really interesting. It was kind of out of the blue. I hadn't heard anything about it. And then it just popped up on my radar last week. That makes sense. There's always more to this type of story. Right. But it's thinking about the preservation of our spaces and what we value and the funds allocated. And she said, you know, on the record, it's whether or not you could save part of the old building to save money. But there's more to it than that. This this building dates back to the late 19th century. It's well over 100 years old. It is a monument Mm. for black people. And now it's getting, it's 
probably going to get bulldozed. It has to go before a, a few more commissions and get other steps in the approval process. But what are we valuing? And what does the school board decision say about the spaces and the places that we protect and preserve in our city? That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up, especially of how we, because this is how we tell our stories, right? And Richmond Public Schools has such a story. So with George Mason having this history of the first elementary school built for black children in Church Hill, this is a story we could be telling. And this reminds me of a story of the first Africans Baptist Church that is on VCU's campus, that instead of using that space to tell the story of literally the highway that sits right beside it, and they were one of the churches that refused to move when the highway came in. And instead of using that space to tell a story, it's just classroom buildings. It's just classrooms for VCU now. And I, but I guess it's still standing, at least is your point here in Kenya point maybe too i mean it's not just about funding it is it's about it's about our public memory right and how do we remember so that we don't repeat our sins of the past well that's all i've got for today so today we're going to be talking about the black restaurant scene in richmond Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for this conversation. My stomach is growling just (laughs) yum yeah no this is This is one of the ones that we talk a lot about history and harms and traumas of the past and we get a little confrontational, but this is one where we're going to lift some of the folks that are really doing this right now. But being a Richmonder, I've just been really excited by everything that I'm seeing go on with the momentum of black restaurants and not just restaurants, not just Richmond being the restaurant city, because I know what that means. It means white restaurants popping up everywhere that I didn't even know you could make a diner or, oh my goodness, that's turned into a coffee shop. Well, we know what coffee shops always lead to. Gentrification. So the fact that there are also being platforms and spaces specifically for black restaurants here in the former capital of the Confederacy, where we had a black Wall Street, right? Thank goodness, even though it's a tragedy that they haven't just been able to grow on their own, right? Yeah, I have been back for about a year and there's so many places here that weren't five years ago when I left. Mm Mm-hmm. The majority of them are white owned, but I've also seen a lot of black owned businesses that I hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I lived in my white bubble around VCU and the fan. So there are a lot of spaces that I didn't enter and there were a lot of things that weren't on my radar. But I am thinking specifically about Jackson Ward, which has been a really interesting place to get reacquainted with. And I spent a lot of time there earlier this summer and a couple of things struck me. One was how many white-owned businesses have come in there and just scooped in and what that says about the history of segregation and gentrification and how how Jackson Ward was Black Wall Street. Right. is this beautiful, booming, thriving neighborhood. And you had 95, you had redlining, and it was just destroyed mm-hmm. by white developers and, and legislators. And for a long time, Jackson Ward really suffered. And then the market rate made it available to white business owners. And now we hear a lot about, and of course, VCU has come in and we hear a lot about how, oh, Jackson Ward is thriving. Um, but it's also about taking space. Yeah. And in a sense, colonialism that's happening there. Ooh. Right, because you're talking about the space. You're not talking about the people that are thriving there. Right, 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 exactly. Like who in this space is thriving? And since the time, 
we talk about place, space, and time, the time that we are in, I think it's important too, that when you're talking about Jackson Ward and what was also destroyed in this time period in our history, we should also go ahead and lift Navy Hill because Navy Hill was the neighboring place of Jackson Ward that was not necessarily for the the black Wall Streeters. It was more the middle-class poor, poor black Richmonders. That's where they lived in Navy Hill. So just so everyone can also get their narrative straight. It wasn't just the business owners of Black Wall Street because we know that there is classism within every community, right? So let's also reframe our mind as we're talking about this Coliseum project to remember what was also destroyed, Jackson Ward and Navy Hill. Absolutely. And I'm glad you pointed that out because that's something that I'm learning about. And I think that with the Coliseum conversation, a lot of Richmonders, especially white Richmonders, yeah. well, and this, weren't taught this history. Me neither, though, right? Like I would always talk about Jackson Ward and then it it took me putting it together of like, wow, the reason why we don't lift Navy Hill's name is because of class within the black community and, and Jackson Ward has so much to celebrate. Mm-hmm. So that's why it survived our public memory, right? But let's go ahead and, and speak the name of Navy Hill too, especially as <laughs> it's tempting to be gentrified in itself, Navy Hill RVA. Anyway, <sighs> yeah. but yeah, this that, the idea of restaurants and, and this Jackson Ward Navy Hill area, right? And what it looks like now and what it means for this area to be thriving again, right? Like we can't just get excited to say this place, it's thriving, it's coming back or it's doing well. Well, who is, who's occupying yeah, that Yeah, well space? for who? Right. Exactly. Right. But I did also see a lot of a handful of black owned restaurants that I hadn't seen before. And that was really exciting. And right around the time I moved back, just a stone's throw away from Jackson Ward, New Vegan opened. And I think that's great. And today we're going to talk with people who are opening a new restaurant. Yeah, it's called Potluck. We're going to hear from those folks in a few minutes. But I want to share with y'all that I was curious about this. So I did a little bit of poking around and I found you journalist. (laughs) Well, I was curious. I was like, okay, you know, there's hundreds of restaurants restaurants in Richmond, white people are going everywhere into spaces that, you know, maybe they shouldn't be going into. So I found out that in 1950, there were 58 Black-owned restaurants. Okay. This is coming from uh, researcher Michael Taylor and something that was published through the U of R thesis database. Okay. Today, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Almost 70 years later. Almost 70 years later, there are 67. So in 70 years, there are only nine more Black-owned restaurants. Progress? Is this what progress looks Question like? Question mark? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. That hurts a little. But yet, in five years, I can walk down Broad Street, and every 20 paces, I could throw a rock at something that's new. Right. That's a white-owned business. Yeah. yeah. So, so. so in five years versus 70 years. Right. Let's think about those numbers. I provide walking tours called the Broadwalk down Broad Street, and we're able to see a lot of the empty storefronts that were Black-owned businesses and that are just ripe for the taking. And it's almost like every time I take that tour, there's another one. It's something new. I have to like change up the walking route because it's like new construction's coming. And I can notice where the people used to stand there, congregate, talk, they're moving. They're having to be shifted. They're more at this stop, more at this one. It's just different. But um, to hear this history, Kat, and in 70 years, we've only added nine restaurants in Richmond, Virginia, should show you the resistance that this place and space has to Black liberation, Black ownership, and why we don't just need another job, right? When we're talking about economic development, we've got to find new pathways and sustainable pipelines for Black ownership, 
not just inviting our business within to your space. No, we want to own the building, the land, the business. We want to own the whole damn street. And I want to point out that black, white, brown, you can all support black restaurants, right? Exactly. That is, it's not just for us and don't feel uncomfortable going in. We'll take all the green dollars. So with all these new places coming up, it's really exciting to know that there's so much support happening and we support these spaces. And one of the spaces that we plan on amplifying today is the one of Potluck. Let's dive on in. All right, I'm really excited for our guest today. We're going to go around our three-person panel and let them introduce ourselves. All right, how you doing? Good morning. My name is Sean Powell, and I'm one of the co-founders of Potluck RVA a pop-up restaurant and chefs in residency platform that we created here to promote the you know upcoming chefs in the community and pretty much get involved with agriculture and educate people on how to cook for themselves, you know, grow their own foods and just become more healthy out here. Nice, nice. Potluck, P-O-T-L-U-K. Yes, the C is left out. Uh-huh. Um, and Potluck currently is going to be an RVA, but we're going to go into new areas and locations as well. Nice. And you'll be able to taste a fusion of different cultural cuisines. Oh, thank you, Sean and Potluck. Who else we got? Uh, my name is Kofi um, from Flojo's, one of the chefs in Flojo's. Uh, Flojo's was uh, originally a, a student-ran organization at VCU, so I'm just here to represent Flojo's. Okay. Are you still a student at VCU? Yes, I am. Oh, what year are you? Um, graduating 2020. I'm a senior. Oh, that's... Hey. Yeah. Our baby's coming out here. What are you majoring in? I got all the questions. Political left. science. You yeah. gotta be out here in this political science. <laughs> I appreciate it. Political science. Um, yeah. You're in the right space. I just came on as an adjunct over in the social work department. Okay, Ooh, that's cool. yeah. so Anyway. That's so exciting. Yeah, and hey, <laughs> last but not least. Hi. Uh, my name is Salama Wadhailu. I'm also a co-founder of Potluck and the founder of The Human Connection, which essentially supports interdisciplinary collaboration and thought. Nice, nice. All right, so all of these people in front of me do a lot of great things. So throughout, I'm going to be encouraging them to talk about their greatness and not just the projects that we are here talking about today. So I think it's important that people also know like what you all have your hands and what you've been about. Because I've met, uh, this is my first time meeting Kofi, but I've met Sean and Salama with like just out being great. <laughs> and so it's important to to show what else you all are doing out here. So tell me a little bit about the human connection, about potluck. Like how did this fusion kind of get started? So I'll speak on my side first and my experience. You know, sometimes you have two different experiences when you kind of form together. So yeah. I want to say my side. Um, <laughs> okay, we got both sides here today, <laughs> thankfully. Okay. <laughs> So my name is Sean Powell, as I said. I'm the executive director of Engage the Foundation. It's a community-based organization, and it has student org chapters on different college campuses. Those college students go out into the community to mentor and tutor the youth in the community through a program that we created called the Young Business Builders Program. Nice. So that program is designed to help turn passions into profit, Mm -hmm. right? So it's more of a peer mentor relationship where the students and the youth participants are both doing the same thing. They're both turning their passions into profit. So they get matched up based on the students' 
talents, hobbies, skills, and interests, and you know what the college students are studying in school. So right. the youth learn college level experience kind of early, right? So that's the framework of Engage the Foundation and how it impacts the community. So through that program, we've actually come up with a lot of ideas and a lot of businesses that have actually come to fruition. And so doing that, we've been popping up at different locations, schools, community centers, running this program, and we realized we needed a home base. Mm -hmm. So we created Workshop RVA, mm -hmm. which is on Broad Street, 420 West Broad Street. It's a co-living, co-workspace. So upstairs, there are apartments. So we had doing Airbnb at first and let college students rent it out, you know, and then we renovated upstairs and now there's a tattoo shop up there. Nice. And then the apartments are still there as well. So some of the artists are living in, you know, the apartments and also tatting in the shop. Nice. And then downstairs is a co-office space. So it's a lot of different businesses that use the space down there. Is their retail space? Is their workspace? Mm -hmm. There's actually a bartending academy down there. You can get your bartending license. There's a music studio in the back that may be changed out due to the, uh, I guess, influx of the fashion that's coming in. <laughs> uh, so we need more storage space. There's like so many clothes in the front retail space now. Wow. Um, it's about reinvented fashion. So there's a lot of vintage. There's a lot of old stuff turning to new stuff stuff there's a lot of custom made pieces in there that you won't find anywhere else so you are kind of like the space making guru over there <laughs> on broad street and that's connected right with the students which yeah. is pretty amazing yeah it's like, like literally walk away from campus now right yeah that's yeah. pretty amazing so how did potluck spring out of the engage foundation yeah so at workshop we pretty much collaborate and come up with many different ideas just as we did when we popped up at the different locations running the program so now we get to do it on a consistent basis with each other. So many ideas have come out just in this short year. We are on a three-year lease-to-own situation at Workshop. Mm -hmm. So this first year, we've come up with so many ideas already. And Salama went here, was um, walking, you know, to go get some food. She was going to New Vegan down the street, on um, Gray Street. I think they've switched up a little bit now. But she was going to eat there, but found an Ethiopian restaurant right next door. Mm -hmm. And she's Ethiopian, so that tickled her fancy. She went in there to kind of see what was going on. And um, the owner was there saying that she was ready to kind of get out of the business and give it up to someone else. Mm -hmm. And Salam kind of light bulb went off, thought that it might be a good opportunity for us. And um, she brought the opportunity to me and we were framing it as the human connection at first, a way to bring everybody together around food. And at the same time, it gave me a reminder of a project that we worked on in the Young Business Builders Program in Richmond Public Schools and Peter Paul um, Development Center. So we had had kids that wanted to be chefs. Mm -hmm. So we brought some chefs out to teach them how to cook. Then we reached out to certain restaurants that had the ingredients that they wanted to make and had them donate the food to the program oh, wow. so that they can cook. The kids made the foods. Community members came in and tried the foods and donated into Jarge at each one of their stations. So they actually made money on that day to go buy more ingredients. Oh, that's amazing. The community members left with menus so they continue ordering and then we can do deliveries. But they were kids, so of course they couldn't keep up with the capacity of the orders because it happened so fast. Wow. Um, and that was called Potluck for Purpose. So fast forward, Salamawit comes up with this idea to bring the human connection as a restaurant platform to bring people together among different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And we had potluck for a purpose back then. So I'm like, all right, let's try to bring this old idea back to fruition. Because one thing I believe personally is that if you have an idea, it's God given. Right. And it's probably given to you at that time for you to try at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's okay to put it on pause or put it on the parking deck. Just get back to it because it still was 
something that was given to you by God. So there's some pureness in it. Um, it may be different methods or ways or times to try it, but you should still always get back to it. You know what I mean? So were you all able to get the space on Gray Street? So the space on Gray Street, we actually didn't get. The owner had a realtor that she was in contract with. So he was almost finished with his whole year before he even said anything to her about anyone seeing the space. So she found us on her own, basically, and was like, she's going to let him finish out his contract and let us get the space. But then he called like a week before his end date and he's like, I got this, you know, guy that's got a lot of money and he's got great credit and he's ready to buy the building. So she just, you know, went with that. The typical um, story here in Richmond, yeah, Virginia. Yes, that is good old Richmond. So let me switch over to Salamowit and hear a little bit about, I keep hearing the human connection, human connection. So tell us a little bit about the human connection and how you got involved with the Engage Foundation and Potluck. Okay, so every time I get asked about the human connection, it's such a difficult question because it's kind of an extension of myself. And so trying to turn that into an organization has been an interesting process. Mm -hmm. But I came, I moved to Richmond to start graduate school in clinical psychology. I got my undergrad at UVA in psychology and cognitive science with a concentration in neuro. Um, So I was really fascinated by just human behavior and how we heal, how we connect and all of that. So when I started graduate school, it was shortly after the Mike Brown shooting. And then a few years later, just a lot of things were happening here Um, and I started to get pretty active in that space all the while though I'm in a clinical program so it's a lot about diagnosis psychopathology and you know all of those things and it got to a point where I was kind of thinking is mental health real or is it a response that humans have to a system that we have socially constructed and doesn't really have any real you know sense in terms of actually having fulfillment for people or impact or any of that and so then I started to think well what would a world of health look like and when you look at psychology studies a lot of it has to do with social connectedness and all of the things that we typically don't quantify or we don't medicate right in, yeah. in those ways and so that's a Essentially, where the human connection was birthed from. Do we have our own innate way of healing ourselves, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically, but also one another? And then is there a way to create life where health is the norm rather than when when we talk about mental health we're talking about psychopathology but mental health should really be mental health how are we well how are we thriving and all of that so anyway so the human connection started and it essentially supports creative living as a birthright for everyone and seeing creative living as a way to be well and then the business side of it kind of started for me because in this world I think money has been you know equity like all of those issues I thought well if we engage in creative living and see creative living as a birthright for everyone, then we will also exchange value for creative living. And so the most recent event that we started in the series is called Hip Hop Consciousness and Venture Capital. Um, And we were able to get the attention of Lighthouse Labs. And now that has become a really great partnership. And they're going to help us uh, create THC's own accelerator program, essentially called THC's Family Ventures. So family stands for fashion and food, art, impact, leisure and lifestyle, and you. And so through that platform. Got music in there. <laughs> oh, music. Yeah, I forgot to spell. <laughs> um, so and the purpose of that is that we kind of bridge the gap in venture so that projects like Potluck, projects like or even early chefs and people like that, we can have sources of funding for and also a direct access to legal help, marketing help, et cetera, at a cap where we can really expand and scale to to become 
high growth companies. So it's looking at the innovation blind spot and then really merging people so that we can find equitable ways to finance ourselves, our ideas, and just create a world where we can all thrive. Like I really have a vision of a world where we're well because we're able to be authentically ourselves and engage in creative living and you know all of those things and I think there's a way that we can co-create it through joining THC's think tanks yeah. <laughs> um, attending events mm-hmm. um, and then just being part of conversations like this that you all do so well Thank you so much. And I, as the clinical mental health nerd myself, I love the idea of the human connection that leads us to a pathway of survival, literally a pocketbook issue. And if we're not able to connect that, like our creative passion that is our birthright, I freaking love that. And being able to connect that right to a way to feed ourselves through our creative passion, right? And that's what's really been missing. And that's the hustle life that this economy has created for us because we have to do our passion as our side hobby. I saw a meme that said that we're getting $17 an hour to sit on our dreams. Mm. And I thought immediately about you and and the Human Connection THC. And this is exactly what you're talking about, right? And that's the system that we have to break. And it takes platforms like the Human Connection that gives that opportunity, gives space for conversation, and gives a platform for everyone to see themselves. Can I add something? Please. I I think, yeah, I think that's so important. And another thing is I, I think there are ways where us as creatives and people, thinkers like this can work with companies, work with corporate companies, work with whatever so that we can also accentuate I guess, the quality of life for everyone. Mm-hmm. So Trader Joe's, for example, is a really good example where they they really care about the quality of life of their employees. Um, they, I don't think they even call employees. or It's like captains on a ship. You know, you've seen the whole kind of branding mm-hmm. of it. But they have opportunities for the team to engage in creative living using Trader Joe's platform. Mm-hmm. And people gain reward, you know, all types of stuff through that. So I think that there are ways to even merge like the status quo and go against it and really start to create, well, what, what does it look like now if we were to, to do both? Right. So Kofi, I want to get over to you as a student. How did you get involved with these folks? How did you even show up today? Because we didn't know who was coming to this interview. <laughs> we're like, yeah, well, I know Salamawa, I know Sean, Potluck, they're doing some great things. And you were the one of the first to pop up. So to be completely honest, I don't even remember when I met Sean. <laughs> but we ran into Sean. I don't remember when, but, um, but Sean came up with the idea of having the residency thing with the kitchen and having us coming out and uh, just, you know, cooking for potluck and so on and so forth. So the team consists of me, Duke, and Eric. So Eric is at work and Duke is just not here right now. But Duke um, was supposed to be here. Shout out to you, Duke. The kitchen cooking. <laughs> <laughs> definitely was supposed to be here. But basically what Flojo's is, is just uh, being from where from an African background. So we take the African cuisine and the culture of African food just infused into different cultures and try to make different things so people can enjoy the food. So as Salama we mentioned earlier, like bringing that that passion into like food so people can understand where we come from. So in order for us to express where we come from, the only way we can do that is through food. Mm. And that's that's the best way we know how to communicate that to people. And Potluck made that possible for us by giving us that platform to do that. How did you get into cooking? So I came here, I came to the States like a couple of years ago. I want to say like six to eight years ago. Okay. And I had to grow up fast. So where are you from? I'm from Togo, West Africa. I had to grow up fast, so I had to learn how to cook and be by my own and so on and so forth. So I remember seeing my mother cook all the time. I remember the ingredients she put together. So through that, I just learned to sit by myself and just started cooking a lot more and trying to 
know more about my culture. When I first came here, it seemed as though like I had to like leave my culture back mm. and like and like just kind of get more familiar with uh, American culture, which didn't really feel too well for me. And, and being at home, being able to cook my own meals was it was the way that I got engaged more with my culture mm -hmm. and that's how I started cooking a lot more and cooking is really for me it's just like getting to know myself and it's like a really a big stress relief for me mm. when I'm cooking it's just like it brings me a, whole, a different sense of relief in this world like especially with school like when it comes final time you get really really stressed and like cooking for me is like a big thing because I get in the kitchen and all that is like lifted off of me and then like, I'm a little chunky as you can tell that's all that cooking <laughs> that I do. Healthy, healthy. <laughs> is that good cooking? Yeah. No and I mean exactly what you're talking about is, mm -hmm. is what Salamawit was saying. That healthy, that feeling, that expression comes through your creativeness in the kitchen and it's also your connection to home. Yes. Which is the connection to your own mental health. Mm. Right. And why exactly. going to the bigger picture, there's so much mental health issues in America. Well, there's so many people whose natural home does not belong in the Americas. Mm. And we've been disconnected. Yeah. And therefore, our own mental health is disconnected. Mm. Yeah. And thankful for folks that are able to bring this type of authenticity yes. to our place and space. And now the idea of potluck is taking it to many spaces. Yes. Right. And being able to share that. Mastermind. <laughs> Mastermind of it. This might seem like an off question and, and Kofi had no idea what we were even talking about today, but I want to ask a little bit about the connection between you choosing political science as your major and a passion of cooking, especially cooking from home. So political science was like, because ever since I was a child, my father always traveled around the world. He's He's a doctor. And he owned like he had other businesses around Africa, so we traveled a lot. So with all that, and uh, my uncle being like a like a governor in like Africa, I wanted to I wanted to also travel and do the same things that they were doing. So I chose political science as my passion. I mean, it was the first thing I chose to do because that's what I saw around me. But then as I came here and didn't have those people, I realized that I had another calling, mm. and that calling was cooking. Mm -hmm. So, but but. I didn't want to just drop political science because I already was too far in it. So I was yeah. like, you know what? I can do both. As, as like Sean said, like when you, an idea comes to you, it's like it's God given. So like you got to pursue it, whether it's put on the back burner, but somewhere, some, somewhere or another, God is going to call you back to it again. So in that sense, so that's what Flow just came about. You know, just a bunch of young professional Africans, African boys just trying to express their themselves through cooking. Mm -hmm. So I picked political science because that's what I knew. Right. That's what I was around right. and get it and, you know, traveled a lot and wanting to travel when I got older as well mm -hmm. and do what my family was doing. Well, thank you for bringing that story mm -hmm. to our platform, right? Just talking about your history, mm -hmm. talking about the governance of like on the continent that we'd also don't often hear about family, African businesses, the stories and platforms we don't hear about. They're just thriving normally and that you just talk about as part of your experience, right? We don't hear, see that very often. So thank you for sharing that with us as well as you know even though it's something you started and you found this passion of cooking your cooking and especially your connection to home all of this is still very political right your connection to the human connection and what you're doing with potluck is still very political because we are in food deserts like we only have nine more black owned restaurants in richmond virginia than we did 70 years ago mm. we haven't evolved that much so you all making these spaces and bringing up young folks specifically i mean that's just so powerful kofi tell us again you all's platform is there a way to support you all or follow you um, all as so well you guys can follow us on instagram flojos we have a link right underneath our uh, profile that you can order from uh, we cook from wednesday through friday but we're going to change that 
soon mm-hmm. from Monday through Saturday. Oh. But you can definitely order from us. If you need to reach out to us and you can't find our social media, you can reach out through uh, Potluck or Sean, the workshop. Great. Yeah, and we'll definitely make sure we share that on our platforms yes. at Race Capital. Kofi, I want to ask you, and you've already kind of answered this. Chelsea was just talking about the relationship between food and politics. As a student of politics and as a chef, do you see a relationship between food and politics? Um, I do. I just don't know how to explain it to you right now. Yeah. It seems like in your like what you're explaining, uh-huh. food kind of dismantles politics mm-hmm. yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit and like creates new space mm-hmm. for new political relationship to develop between the two parties. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're sharing I don't know. Yeah, well, it's it's just very political because we talk about food deserts, right? Like if you're not if you're not just bring a Wendy's or a McDonald's to this food desert, you're able to bring a different type of dish and meal. Like you are literally dismantling a system because now we're getting healthy foods. We're getting foods that they've purposely siloed and, and taken away from us, history. right? The history of this, like another way for us to socialize and gather and assemble because they know too many black folks in one place. A lot of magical things can happen and that's really scary for the system we like to um tagline the purpose of potluck is bringing food love and innovation together yeah right so you know with workshop the whole idea is employment entrepreneurship you know and education right so if you think about how that fits with potluck and the cultures and the histories and the politics even you know, we're going to be educating the community from the youth on up on how to grow their own foods. Right. How to integrate hemp into their foods for medicine, you know, to have no side effects. Right. We talk about right. Richmond's health equity. Like, exactly. this is exactly the political space. Exactly. There's so much money and foundation philanthropy going into health equity right now. Exactly. It's programs like Potluck, Engage, the, the Human Connection that need to be having those funds in order to really push this a grassroots growth evolution so that we don't, we don't grow at the rate of nine restaurants in every seven years 70 years 70 70 goodness mind-blowing right so tell us a little bit about how we can get excited about potluck what can we see coming up and how we can find you guys okay first on social media potluck rva with no c so Mm p-o-t-l-u-k it's a you know a trendy way that the students came up with the branding once you see it it's symmetric it has the blue and white to show both sides of spectrums you know it's on a yellow background to show happiness and love so it's really really artistically you know simple as well so potluck rva you'll be able to notice a bit bright yellow and red and blue um it's on all social media platforms that way potluck rva with no c if you look at those pages you'll be able to see a lot of the chefs that we feature right now all you're going to see is nothing but flojos because they were the first group <laughs> and they're the youngest and they really fit the whole vibe and purpose of what we're doing from jump right. so we're going to support them holistically all the way we're probably going to have a restaurant building very soon look at that right manifest um, that we're going to and- put them in food trucks Uh-oh. you know um, so definitely want y'all to check out the pages and see flojos on that page and really support them right now like you right. can order from them right now that's amazing and what are their times that people can order from? So I believe Wednesday through Saturday are the cooking times right now, but you can place your order at any time Mm -hmm. um, on the FloJo's page on that link, and they'll give you the days and times in which you can pick it up. Um, But you can purchase it, you know, at any time and just have it ready and order waiting for you. What about Um, catering, that sort of thing for businesses? Oh, so if you got meetings that you're hosting. Corporate meetings, we can come in. We'll give corporate discounts, you know, sponsorships. Young black folks out here. 
Yeah. This is and really building their own that are already connected with investors. So it's like they are building, right? Yes. Like they've got trusted accomplices. Yes really feeding like this is a system that you all are building in itself yes. right from the partnerships to the the students oh speaking to of partnerships that. i would be doing a little discredit if i don't shout out the big partners that are at the table right now give you guys a sneak peek all right so vcu is thinking about putting workshop vcu in their vcu health hub at 25th street <gasps> So there we will actually be able to educate the community on how to, you know, grow their own foods and cook their own foods to have a healthier lifestyle and integrating hemp and using that grocery store as their hub to get everything that they need. At the 25th? At the 25th Street Marketplace. Right. So if like um, people went on the 25th Street Marketplace, like Instagram, and was like, we really want workshop or health hub there. I mean, what would they need to say that? How right, could they do that? Right, right. Um, yeah. So that's a very good question there. So you can actually go right to the health hub mm -hmm. and you could talk to Miss Natalie and she will let, she's the site director at the health hub and you just let her know you champion workshop VCU coming to life on the East End. Nice. And we're currently already working with it, working with her on it. Awesome. So it's already a green light, but the more the community, you know, advocates for it, the better especially uh, faculty so exactly. you know your position i guess um, oh, i see yeah, yes. yeah. talking okay. <laughs> to different faculty members who want to yes. champion you know interventions like that because it is different and it's going to be a lot more experiential and our outcomes will look different and stuff like that right. so right. faculty who are looking at interdisciplinary research and interventions like that would also be really helpful in helping us champion nice big okay. shout out to vcu health um, we'll be speaking at their good grief conference october 24th first okay. about shifting the culture of emergency preparedness wow. right so that's going to be big at vcu health in international good grief conference it happens okay. every year and do you guys have something this weekend right so this weekend august 31st august okay. 31st we have a kick the block block party for back to school we're gonna have a lot of you know school supplies out there a lot of food trucks djs a lot of fun activities for the family it's gonna be down in shaco bottom uh next to bellows lounge bellows lounge is kind of gonna be the headquarters for the nice. block party love bellows um, what time to show them some love so it's gonna be between one and six okay on the 31st um, and then September 1st on Labor Day we're going down to Chesapeake Virginia Elizabeth City River Park it's a brand new park and it's underneath the Elizabeth City River Bridge it is beautiful so, wow. so it's going to be a big 21 and up and family oriented event so the 21 and up section is going to be closed off and it's going to have different cabana sections you can get your drinks your food you know your private vip you have your adult only thing, section i you know, know that's right sometimes then, i just need adults only. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then it has a bunch of family games and stuff out there uh, and sometimes i gotta bring my kids yep you know, yep the dogs who come and all of that so it's gonna be called fest out you know, the idea that's is great. a big community field day. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. That's dope. And what are you serving? Uh, so we're going to have potluck, you know, there as well. What, yeah, um, what, what food? Tell yeah, us about so, the food. So Dank Eats is the food truck. Shout out to Dank Eats. They're the food truck that we just partnered with. And they're actually number one on Yelp. And he has a fusion of different kind of cuisines on his truck. So they're kind of similar to potluck. Um, he has a lot of Jamaican cuisines on there, some Caribbean cuisines on there. So that aligned a lot with Flojo. So yep. Flojo's can come in there and make it a little bit better. You nice. know what I mean? Nice. Um, they're straight from the land. So they know a little bit more about the spices and herbs that are used to you know make it really a cuisine that is you know caribbean or cultural from you know that side of town right, <laughs> you know? Right. but yeah okay that you guys got a busy weekend 
So good luck with that. Yes, yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, September eighth. September eighth. We're gonna be at Main Stage. Okay. So we started off doing Sampler Sundays, right? So we're gonna bring that back starting okay. September eighth. You pay five dollars. You can get to pick anything off the menu to sample, right. right? And then you can order what it is that you like. Right? Now this Sunday sample day. That's really how I got on to y'all because I didn't even yes. realize it was y'all doing it, and I just saw potluck this this five. I was like, this is. This is genius. I love this $5. Everyone loves a little brunch. Yep. Go ahead and get your snack on. Um, it was so cute. One of the things it was like, this is a to-go box that did not make it to go. Yes. The food was gone. I was like, that is the type of to-go box I need. When you're to-go, don't no, go. When you're to-go, don't go. All right. And just because I love black women so much, I really just want to have a big shout out to Salima Witt. Yeah. Salima Witt, like Ooh. you have been around this city just doing it and to be really honest like the very first exposure to this brilliant woman was back at VCU when she was getting a president's award and she was on stage with my sister that was also being honored and just her words were I mean at that point I was like oh she's she's doing something like I was starstruck her family is beautiful I was like she like this woman is really going places and doing things. So to see you now pouring that back into like my hometown and community, it means so much to me. Uh, so thank you for being here and doing this work as black women do all the time and supporting up. these young men minds, especially black minds matter. Thank you uh, so much. Thank you. And that means the uh, world to me that you remember. Cause I actually remember meeting you then. And I'm like, there's no way she remembers. Oh that my gosh, I totally remember. <laughs> like, you bet. I mean, she, y'all, she was dressed to the T. She was looking great on that stage for the first, of all but and then your words and the work just followed that thank you yeah ditto like <laughs> ditto so, <laughs> thank you so much all the love all right well why don't we go ahead and jump right on in to our final segment which is what's your privilege What's Your Privilege is a segment of the show where we invite our guests to acknowledge one of the privileges that they carry in the world and how they use it to disrupt the myth of white supremacy so who wants to go first? I guess I'll give it a stab. Thanks, Sean. Um, this is very interesting to me because I try to not be the intimidating black man mm. when doing this work. Yeah. I consider this work God's work. So it doesn't matter color, gender, whatever. You know, it's about purpose. So when I started Engage the Foundation, there was no lines of black and white. Right. You know, it's just purpose of going out into the community and educating the kids on what we've learned so far in our journeys, right? So that peer mentor relationship was, you know, established from the jump. Of course, going into the communities, you realize who's predominantly there, right. you know, black, you know, underrepresented, probably disfranchised, not having as much access as, you know, the normal everyday citizen. That's the community that we're working with. And then just looking back at who I am in my life and my family, we resonate. Right. So So what's your privilege? How would you define that? I would say being a black man is Come like on. a gift and a curse. You know, it's a it's a privilege. It's the same as it is an obstacle, you know, to overcome. Right. You know. But if you use it as your privilege, though, which is what you're doing, mm -hmm. it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the influence that, you know, comes with being a black man right. can, you know, be heightened, you know, and it's like just a, a waiting to see what's going to come out of my mouth or, you know, what kind of skills I'm going to try to use. You know, a lot of times we're seen as an entertainment 
entertainment source, mm. you know, so I have a very vibrant energy. I will entertain you, mm. you know what I mean? But my entertainment may educate you as well. Your like, entertainment's going to the liberation of the people, yeah. <laughs> right? So I might make you feel like you could do anything, right. you know, my, that's how my entertainment works. But I understand that power and my influence to be an entertainer as a black man. Right. You know, that is also a negative connotation as well. So But if that's part of your power and you use that, mm -hmm. right, to for your work and for progress, then that is your superpower yes. privilege. Yes. Right. Yes. And to see you doing it with young folks, like that that was really what drew me to you and your work and just following and again seeing the stuff in you of like, oh he gets it. Yeah. Right? Like he he gets it. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Kofi? I would say my privilege is just having culture coming from a background. You better bring it. Of like, you know, just great people, great people that taught me a lot of things along the way. And just being able to come to the States and be educated. And uh, that's a big privilege. And just the ability to cook as well. And, you mm. know, and f to make that my, my statement in life, you know, bringing that to other people. That is my privilege. Wow. Thank you for your privilege. Thank you. I can't wait to taste yes. <laughs> all of that privilege come on my plate. <laughs> uh, this is an amazing part. I have so many privileges. I think, you know, just coming from a loving home, having really great relationships. So I wrote my master's thesis on colorism and the impact of colorism on five-year-old children's academic success. Wow. And there was there were things that we found in that. And so lately being a woman in oftentimes male dominated space dominated spaces, you get into interactions of people where aren't necessarily seeing you and your skills, but are looking at you. But recently, I guess through conversations, I benefit from like socially pretty privilege, right? Social mm -hmm. constructed pretty privilege, whatever pretty means. Right. Um, and so just recognizing like how you use that, how I arrive in spaces and also how to harness that and not allow that to make me feel like, oh, I have to, I don't know, you know, like when you feel like you're not seen for your words or for your action, but more so for other not you're sexualized <laughs> you're, you're sexualized exactly you're sexualized and then i think there's a way to take power in whatever those oppressive things are and then also leverage it so to give voice to just yeah, I don't know. This is obviously it's a very new thing that I'm thinking through right. and also For, navigating through. And then yeah. you're like, OK, this is a privilege also and a thing that you have to navigate every single day in terms of how you're treated in certain spaces and stuff like that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I I can connect to that because I was I had an experience when I cut all my hair off where I was really like self-conscious about it. But people then like fetishize that to, you know, Amber Rose or diff different things. And it was just interesting navigating navigating that to how other people saw me. My privilege this week is really just the access to trying different foods and meeting different people. We're talking about black food spaces in Richmond. And because I do have access to a car, I have access to friends, I have access to information, I'm able to find and support and amplify black spaces. Even if it's, you know, on a mini platform here, we are powerful, mm -hmm. I believe. And the privilege of, of seeing this work, you know, Richmond Black Restaurant experience, that's working, right? Building these platforms, potluck, that's working. And my privilege is being able to tap into people that just happen to be in my phone and be like, hey, can y'all come on this show, do this thing for the culture? Respect. 
Like that, that is just a privilege to me that I have access just to access to people that are doing amazing things. So I continue to harness that and amplify them and support them in the best ways that I can. And I'm just so grateful that you all spent this time with us this morning. Is there anything else that you all want to say for the people? I just want to say thank you and like shout out to y'all for standing on his mantle right now. (laughs) You know, media is pretty much how we learn, you know, in in our society. So it's important that what's being taught is, you know, purpose driven, you know what I mean? And fulfilling and liberating. And and I'm getting that here today. So I appreciate Mm. it. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. All right. Well, good luck with all of the events this weekend. And you all are welcome back anytime on Race Capital. Yes, yes, yes. Thank Hit us so up. Thank you so much. Love y'all. <laughs> Potluck RVA. Yeah, I'm looking forward to eating that food. I cannot wait. And it's not just about the food. It, well, it's about the food, yeah. right? But it's about what that food carries. What is in that dish? Right. And why, you know, that young man, Kofi, he doesn't even realize what he's already tapped into. He's already tapped into a system that understands that creativity should be paid for, like it should be value. Mm-hmm. It understands that his creativity and his gifts and his knowledge that came from across the ocean has such a value here and not just monetarily, but for our own health and wealth. And I love that Salama was able to connect that directly to our mental health Mm -hmm. as well. So by tapping into these systems, right, by just buying and supporting Potluck RVA, you're not just supporting a young black chef. You're supporting an entire system that is creating a platform for black voices and black businesses that is showing these partnerships that are taking sort of risk, right, by investing in these young black platforms here in Richmond and showing them, look, we are valuable, we should be invested in, and people are ready. And that will just create more space for more platforms and more people to get paid because we can't take care, nobody can take care of our people like we can. And by resourcing us, we're able to continue to build our table just like they did in Jackson Ward, Navy Hill, and to expand out. We don't need some big, shiny development project for us to build. We just need some of our own ideas and creative forces to be funded because it's part of our birthright to be able to live off of them. I am amazed by how much these three young people have created. I mean, I'm looking at them and I'm just like, how? How did you do that? I built the foundation and, you know, with that, there's all these different organizations, Sean's saying, and all these different people that they've connected with and affected, you know, from of all ages, children, students, creatives, and helping people turn their talents into something that you can actually make money off of. Right. So you're not doing, you know what you said about getting paid 17 hours, 17 dollars an hour to sit on your dream. Yep. I mean, that is what more is there? Right. I mean, how much time do you spend in life? And I think Salama Witt is absolutely right. That is that's mental health. Yeah. Yeah. We have been so socialized to follow a certain path. It's destroying our own cognitive well-being. And as these spaces continue to grow and open, we've got to find our way of how to support them. If you don't know how to create the own black business ownership, entrepreneur empowerment, it's as easy as going and buying a plate of food. 
And that can be for anybody, white, black, because guess what? My black face patronizes white businesses all the time. And I don't ever think, ooh, is this for me? Well, I'm thinking sometimes am I comfortable in this space, but there's plenty of spaces where the food is just delicious. And I am excited to support them. I understand that that's part of the economy, but going out of my way to find something that is new to me to my taste buds and that actually gives me a connection to other cultures as well as future thriving businesses. I mean, what is more patriotic than that? (laughs) (laughs) And how can we really dismantle the myth of white supremacy and the formal capital of the Confederacy other than investing in our young black minds? Well, I'm so grateful that they were able to come and share this space with us, right? There's not many times on the show that we get to just leave with this feeling of hope, but we're excited to spread their good news as well as more good news in our community. Make sure everyone is following us on all social media platforms, Race Capital, as well as just reach out to us at racecapital at gmail.com if you have any questions or ideas for the show. And we'll catch y'all next week. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the